Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unlimited Railworks. It is Thursday when we're recording this. This episode's gonna come out a little late. Sorry, nature of the world we live in. Um, but it's fine. John's still out of here. We were trying to get him in here, but that man is busy. Uh, on a mission. Which, on a mission, still, still. still it's a very scary mission. Out. It is really scary out there in Texas. High risk. High risk. <laughs> Hot. You know, more true in more ways than you think, <laughs> probably. Um, but it's fine, because, yeah, look, Elvie's here. Hello. Hello. I, Hello. I'm pretty safe. I'm glad that you're safe. Okay, that's good. <laughs> At least one of us is. Yes. Maverick, how safe are you? Eh, you know, pretty safe. All right. Okay. So, sorry, John. We're all we're all doing okay. I think. Uh, but <laughs> condolences. You know, keep keep working out there, fighting for everyone's peace. Um. So, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about this week. It is that time of the month where we talk about our anime that we had. And this was our patron pick was Paranoia Agent, or Moso Daranin, I believe is how it's pronounced. Uh, Satoshi Kon's, uh, you know, uh, less horror. I guess it's supposed to be horror, but it's more of just tension, right? It's a thriller. Like a thriller. I think it's a thriller mystery. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. you put it best, Maverick. Right, you were you were talking about how uh, you were surprised because it's it's less a thriller and more um, what did, what was it that you said? Twin Peaks or something like that, something more along the lines, like surrealist. Yeah, work. I think like the biggest thing that if I had to meditate on is the fact that Paranoid Agent is one of those series that got its break or like came out like two thousand four. Not only did it come out in Japan in 2004, but it also was able to get onto Adult Swim, like, not soon after that. Maybe, like, what, 05, 06? But... Yeah, yes. it was probably, the, it was probably like, one of the first series that it had such that short time window before simulcasting yep. became a normalized yeah, thing and now. so if I had to think about it, like, okay, it's less that the show itself is inherently like terrifying but more so there were probably a bunch of five to 12 year olds who caught one episode (laughs) and with no context definitely would have gotten like freaked the fuck out by this isn't inuyasha yeah you know (laughs) something very like its own and wanting to be its own that like you would definitely get a whole different vibe. But at the same time, you know, that that reception only ultimately kept me away from it because I was always just like, oh, it's scary. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Too spooky. <laughs> it was good. Oh, just very, very good. And a reminder about, just a solid reminder of Satoshi Kon's, like, impact overall you know but can't get too ahead of myself uh rose you want to hit us with a quick dirt sheet on what we got over here in this series yeah so this is about you know this little guy is going around okay and his he's name's just a guy he's, he's just a little guy <laughs> he's just a little man um, <laughs> I think uh, he's 
Is he yeah, called also, Little or, or Slugger sh- in the dub? He's called that- Little Slugger in the dub. That's what they chose okay. to um, paraphrase Shonen Bat. Right. Bat Boy. Because <laughs> Bat so, Boy would sound weird, really, to an American audience, I'm sure. Yeah, like, what, it, it conjures yeah. up different ideas, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the... He's he's going around. He's got a golden baseball bat, and he is you know he's hitting people. Um, and it's mainly like that's not actually what the show's about, right? That's just like the groundwork. That's like the conceit between episodes for a little bit. Um, really, what it's about is these people who end up being affected by or or like connected to this little slugger guy and like the things that are going on in their lives and the things that like the horrors they are dealing with to an extent horrors might be i mean it's the appropriate word it's society it's society yeah (laughs) how's this how society they talk about i think it is in the it's either the first episode or the second episode. I think it's the second episode where they talk about like like there's news stories where they say like little slugger, you know, this is a natural result of our closed society or whatever, etc. Blah 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 blah, and it's like wow, yeah, um, that is what the media would say. Um, I think like it is. It eventually goes into a lot of other things. You know, it has discussions on mental health on crime what where that crime comes from why it happens how people end up in ridiculous situations a lot of traumatic musings and stuff like that um and uh yeah i think the thing that really struck me interesting was uh, struck me the most was like how early they start to engage with the little slugger stuff um Mm -hmm. Because this is something that I, I assumed would be the crux of most of the series, but I mean it is. Don't get me wrong, it is. But it is also like explored much. Like episode four, I think, episode five or something. They start to like actually like dissect it. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, this is this was my first time watching it. I don't I don't really know. Is, do you, Do you guys have a better idea of? how to explain this uh the show than what i said because i feel like i'm probably underselling it i mean i guess when when you're saying like you mean to say the first like around a, when when unpacking this character <coughs> little slugger slash shonen bat um specifically you mean to say like actually like you know this is a series from 2004 we are going to talk about spoilers um but the fact that they run into like the suspect like early on in the series is what yeah, you mean, right? And it's exactly, like, oh, yeah. okay, and it, that pretty much shows how what is selling this show is actually just only a framework of what is really the bigger issues yeah, at hand, exactly. which like which, which which you went into is like the human psychology of like a lot of these problems these people are facing, or if not, they're actually terrible people too. They're also terrible characters who are like doing these horrible things as well, and like unpacking how that is all a response to. Very much specifically Japanese society. I think like very yeah, much the story definitely. that her point is is very specific to Japanese society, as I I can go into a little bit later. Um, I think that's what you were you mean to say. Like, it's, yes, it's, it's, exactly. it's just it's just it's just like wow. Okay, they're establishing up front and pulling in, being like, oh, things are not what they seem. And like, as someone who like has seen this before, and now I'm I'm seeing this as like an adult and like much older and like actually better understand some of the stuff going on, for sure. Like. 
a, a, a repeat watch of this series definitely makes it is one of those things where it does feel effective you just you start understanding like early hints of foreshadowing and certain like red herrings they establish early on that makes you realize oh okay that's kind of cool and then and and especially in regards to the connective thread they establish between this big cast of characters and how they all like connect back to yeah. the you know the little slugger, slugger um incidents and attacks so i had i have to say right now i I have seen Perfect Blue when I was a teenager. Okay, uh-huh. that was it. Um, in terms of Satoshi Kon work, I don't like. I I I know everyone loves it all. I've just I've I have a hard time watching movies. Okay, this is my problem. Right. Um, and so I was excited to watch this, and I I do think this was quite good. It was interesting to see, um, like. Honestly, just how he was able to translate, like, I might not have seen his other works around this time period, but I know what they look like, right? Like, I I know the famous cuts, the famous, like, direction, the scene layout, stuff like that. And that is all, like, seeing how that is translated to a, you know, lower budget, limited window type thing, Mm -hmm. is. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, I think... Overall, it was pretty effective with what it had. Um, I think the um, uh, the uh, the environments all really match this. I like. I mean, obviously, the core notion of the show is paranoia, right? Everyone is paranoid mm-hmm. and freaking out about little slugger, about society, about the people that they're dealing with other people there are everyone's scared of something and the, these environments are so claustrophobic and like colored in such a way that like really like just keep you on edge i guess like there's a lot of scenes at sunset there's a lot of scenes at uh twilight mm-hmm. um in terms of like as a as a work i think it really serves its themes well um if I had I, one complaint about this, is it's that um, this is something I felt about uh, Perfect Blue and other things is I feel like Satoshi Kon, even if it's not overtly bad, I feel like he very much leans on. And the intention is obviously to portray like society, but it, it is a very limited idea of like what society finds scary. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of it ends up being, you know, overweight people, uh, mental illness um Mm -hmm. things like that um and it's like i know that i i know that he was smarter than than what i'm implying but it's like at a certain point with some of the stuff in the show like it's like okay this is probably scary to like a really basic milk toast person in 2004 right like yeah (laughs) but like fundamentally like looking at it today we look at it and we say oh this is interesting like like we we understand this but it definitely is the type of thing that stuck out to me when i was watching it where i was like oh man this was intended to be scary in 2004 probably like this was supposed to be something that really made someone in 2004 go damn that's fucked up um i think especially with um is it episode it's episode three i think Mm-hmm. with the um dissociative identity disorder um, yeah. woman i i felt like even though at the time period that is arguably a much more sympathetic 
portrayal mm-hmm. of You're someone right. with that. Like, there's a doctor who's helping her. There's yeah. all this other yeah. stuff. But at the same time, it was very much like... It goes into an extreme. It goes into an extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, to suggest that... you Yeah, like you said, like, there's, like, actually incredibly, like, sensitive and very sympathetic points where, like, she actually has, like, a doctor that understands what she's going through and is very yeah. helpful to her and is not judging her. Like, she actually has a great, like... And... Um, and legitimately, there is certainly, like, an anxiety and, like, really horrific situation where, like, you know, she doesn't quite know who she is and she doesn't know, like, how to deal with it still, regardless yeah. of the help she's getting. And for sure, that is a struggle. But, like, yeah, it goes into the extreme of, like, just, you know, that whole, like, you know, again, you mentioned you've watched Perfect Blue. But, yeah, again, that whole thing of, like, fighting within herself and then it gets to the certain point where, like, oh, she could have, like, killed someone maybe. And that's, you know, like, yeah, it, which is not an everyday occurrence. Like, you know, it doesn't <laughs> I'm pretty sure it doesn't necessarily go to that extreme where it escalates to that point. You know, I'm sure there are, yeah. that can happen. But, like, just yeah, yeah, like, like, again, to, as someone, right, who's looking on to the, in the inside of this, who 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 cannot relate to this, um. And like you know, does does not go through something like that. It could it could be misleading for sure. Yeah, I think that it um, it it just represents this like, like that is what I mean. Like it's just like there is a lot of sympathetic examinations and stuff like that in general in this show. But there are sometimes where it's just like that is like the horror in itself is just this mental illness. Isn't wouldn't it be scary to deal with someone who had this problem or something right. like that? And, you know, the show covers a lot of different people with a lot of different situations that I think it ends up being like, okay, it's fine. But it was something that stuck out to me, especially with, like, the artistic, like, how they draw, like, again, like I said, overweight people, I think, really sticks out. It feels like that's a consistent thing in Cone's work, where it's just Mm -hmm. like, could you imagine the grossest thing possible? It's anyone who's not 10 pounds, like... Right, like, all a lot of... A lot of the characters who are overweight in, in the series are bad people. Yeah, um, that was. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, yeah, the intention was there. Yeah, you know, it's very, it's very blatant in regards to like, um, evilness being associated with ugliness, right? Yeah, yeah that's exactly. kind of, it's very, it's very intense. That's I, yeah, I think I think that certainly is like a problem across like a lot of the character designs he's involved with. That's certainly like a recurring pattern for sure. That is noticeable. Yeah, but I mean, it's still a great show. I I, mm-hmm. I do want to say that I um, and I do think that um, you know, the music's great too. That was something mm-hmm. I forgot to say about the presentation. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, yeah, really great. Just holy Susume shit. Uh, yeah, Maverick. He holds it down. Like he has been a consistent collaborator. Yeah. With like a lot of Cohen's work, I don't know when it started specifically, but I know that like heavily. I believe he's been involved since Perfect Blue, but if not, then. He composed Millennium Actress, and that Millennium Actress is a fantastic score. Like, amazing compositions, and still, same here. Like, the opening is so electrifying, and just really sets up the foundation for what the fucking rest of the show is going to be. Just incredible. Incredible work. Yeah, um... Started working with him since, like, Millennium Actress. And then also composed Paranoia Agent and Paprika. So, very electrifying score. Also knows how to just have a lot of silence invoked as well. Like, the the sound design is very well done. And adds to that heightened sense of paranoia. Because, you know, half of it is 
<clears throat> the visual, but then the other half is just you know, having that lingering sense of something over your shoulder. And I think the sound design really does a lot to evoke that. Definitely. Um, yeah. Um, the I think that, 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 that notion of, like, you know, something over your shoulder, I think that's, like, the most effective nature of the little slugger as a narrative device, right? Like it's this idea of like, is it going to happen now in this episode? Like when will it happen? Because there are times where it happens like halfway through an episode sometimes, or, um, you know, it just happens at the end yeah. a lot of the time. Uh, but it is definitely an interesting uh, thing to move it forward. What, what are your thoughts on the work as a whole Maverick while we have you here talking about the music? Oh God, work as a whole. Like this is one of my favorites. Because I still have not worked through all of Satoshi Kon's work, but um, from what I've seen, which have not seen Perfect Blue, but I did get to see uh, Millennium Actress, and I have seen Tokyo Godfathers, which also mm -hmm. phenomenal, and the transition from Godfathers into uh, Paranoia Agent, one caught me off guard, just because like, I didn't realize that was the order of... Everything I always assumed Tokyo Godfathers was a later work before Paprika. Oh, yeah. Tokyo Godfathers is like right before the series, I think. Yeah, just <laughs> con very consecutive. I mean, everything after Perfect Blue is very consecutive and then takes the break into Paprika. But no, I mean, like, I think it is very interesting to me the way that if I were to really narrow it down, the three artists that I can think of, directors, uh, yeah, directors that I can think of that really had a palpable feeling for the way that, like, globalization and mass communication affect the way that we just exist. Like, Satoshi Kon is one of them. Next is Mamoru Hosoda. And then it's the Lane guy, but then the Lane guy got, like, base-pilled. And so it's just like, <laughs> well... You definitely represent another aspect of how the internet turns us into ghosts when you're making a Digimon sequel that talks about cancel culture. <laughs> but um, in, in the case of Cone and like Hosoda, they are both, I think, people that recognize the way that technology advances and just affects the way we live our lives. Where Hosoda is very like forward-thinking about it and forthcoming about it. Cone, I would say, is similar, but in a way that is still just, like, wanting to be mindful of the realistic horror that can come out of those situations. And very easy subtext to get out of just, like, the overall communication of it all. Like, ultimately, it's a show about the societal pressure that just, one, takes over Japan in general, but two looking at it in 2021 that everyone feels where it's kind of just a collective burden. The The fact that the series opens with everyone on their phones complaining about like what is troubling them, but not feeling that they could actually like talk about it out loud. Cause that would be yeah. rather unjust. It is very similar to the fact that I can't act or it's like, Oh, I can't actively do something about this, but I can at least complain about it on social media. It's a very palpable sensation where it's like, shit sucks, and the bare minimum that I can have is an outlet of some kind to at least like express 
my frustration. And ultimately, like, the the big contender, like, to, to, to get into spoil, like, yeah, getting into a bit of spoiler territory, you know, mm-hmm. Lil Slugger does not exist. He is not an actual person. Rather, uh, Tsuki Kosagi, the first uh, victim of Lil Slugger, fabricated the experience because of the fact that she is a character designer being overstressed, overworked, and overwhelmed. And in a moment of high anxiety and high stress about just having to deal with that kind of work, tries to induce like a self basically like self harms, but in a way where recognizing that one, there could be a whole load of problems to deal with by just saying, Hey, I like did this to myself fabricates an attacker where now there is a fabrication of just this idea that, Oh, this is the thing that will be traumatic enough that people can understand where I'm at. And I think it does a very interesting, the show is very interesting in the way that it recognizes like the reality that we only are with a very condensed news cycle. There needs to be something of that grand scale for people to care about. Again, to bring it into a modern equivalent, it's the idea, like, you would get Twitter threads that are saying, like, why is nobody talking about Lil Slugger? And <laughs> yeah. just shouting yeah. out the various... Ah, oh, Jesus. Like, it, it is... Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to be like, oh, this predicted the future, and it's amazing, but, like, it, it's less that, yeah, but more yeah. so recognizing that these patterns of, dis- of, like, distress and means to find help in a oppressive capitalistic structure are omnipresent and continue to <laughs> yeah, propagate definitely. when you don't actually change the system. Yeah. Um, I think that's always the thing that comes up with these works, right? Is, is It's one thing to say that this is the future, but it really is just like, this is this pattern will always happen. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this is, this type of thing always happens. Change. People are the same is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say that your work offers you mental health days, but will you still feel okay saying I'm taking a mental health day? No, you're still yeah. gonna attach an illness to it. You're still going to attach something that is worthy enough. I'm using the biggest air quotes there yep. to no, put yeah. in the reality of that, like, yeah, like the system needs to change in order for there to be the ability to have those borders that even now in the age of mental health conversations being rampant, but at the same time, the language being abused by workforces, you know, it's mm-hmm. still important to recognize like, yeah, we're, we're, it is very easy to want to have your little slugger where you're at your point and you can't take it anymore to just whack you upside the head so you can have your moment of bliss and say that, hey, I had this happen to me. I don't have to worry about this anymore. But yeah. the reality is that we can have that. And rather, uh, to get into specific episodes, um, episode 11 
is very poignant in just having the show's ethos laid out. If, if you had any trouble trying to figure it out. Um, so <laughs> to, to get specifically into episode 11, which it's the, the, the show is an anthology. There's no like set order. Yeah. Rather, it's a matter of like how stories interconnect and how stories get through. There's a narrative that progresses, but you know, it's not like, it doesn't like necessitate that you immediately get through everything but anyway episode 11 focuses on uh the wife of uh the detective that's leading the little soldier case ikari so um ikari yeah, yeah. to distinguish him from the other and one so his <laughs> goes a different wife, direction Misai, basically is like having a confrontation with little slugger and more or less is just out uh, again is talking to this shadowy representation of Lil Slugger, who at this point has been propagated across the town, has been talked about, has been made wives' tales of, has had so many things give it this unbelievable power that it, it is basically a conversation Misaya is having with. Just like the reality of her own mortality. And it comes to a point where she is basically saying, like, yeah, I could sit here, I could wish for some delusion to take me away from my reality, or I could do so many things I could like try and ease the pain of what's going on. But rather than do that, I'm at least being able to say, I'm here. This event that is happening is happening, and I can't change the fact that it is happening. But at the very least, I can do my best to move past it and work towards a space where I can still feel comfortable. Like, it, it is a show that very much promotes mindfulness in a way where it's like recognizing, yeah, shit sucks. But at the very least, finding the thing that lets you still work past it and finding the way to still find a sense of resiliency is going to be the thing that saves you, not a lens of escapism. Or a means to try and, like, get away from what is, like, bugging you. Not, not not in a way that it's like, oh, you just gotta grit your teeth and get through it. But more so, you know, the recognition of the stakes of your situation while still being able to find the things that, like, do ground you in what goes on. I am always impressed by your ability to quickly convey analysis like that. Thank you for your service every I time. I mean, I just like, I don't know. I guess it's easy for me now that I'm looking at a new job and it's been like, no, I, it's, we keep picking series or like, I, I stumble into series that just <laughs> like, yeah, hit me at the right moment. And this is very much the thing where it's like, Oh, yeah, no, I've definitely had those days where it's like I'm just looking at the sidewalk and thinking, if I calculated this correctly, the bus could probably hit me in a way that, like, I could at least get some money out of it and maybe a few days off. Uh, but then I step back and I'm thinking, well, no, because I still have to, like, do the thing. I, I still, and that's what, like, gets me back into it. It's like, I still need to experience the thing that's going to happen. And yeah, maybe it'll suck, but I'll at least have gone through it and can like 
go to the next day. Which, in terms of, like, that uh, very uh, morbid and macabre uh, conversation about the inevitability of death, episode 8 is, like, the best, ep- one of the best episodes. It's pretty it's good. It's so yeah. good. It's pretty good. Oh, God. Do, do, do we want to pivot into just, like, what our favorite episodes were? If I'm going to start just picking apart, like, specifics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um I have to think about because I can this. at least do the um, focus on episode eight. So episode eight is, I yeah I agree with you entirely. Mm-hmm. It um, when I when I was sitting down again, I've seen this series before. The moment the episode hit, I was like, no, I remember this vividly. I know exactly what happens. That is the episode specifically that I remember at the back of my mind when I first saw the show as a preteen, like hands down. And I think a lot of it having to do, it's one of the episodes being a self-contained story where it doesn't really, you know, interject with the main narrative going on with all those other characters. Um, And specifically the Moromi storyline. Um and I think that is why. And for some reason, I just remember nights where, like, you know, they're probably... They, I, I believe they, they, they re-syndicated, like, Paranoid Agents several times in mm-hmm. Adult Swim. But I clearly remember that for some reason, that episode was just on rerun a lot. Or for some reason, I just happened to catch the series where they're playing that episode. Very weird, very eerie. <laughs> but that episode is burned into the back of my mind. Especially, like, it, like every detail about it, for sure. Yeah. And so, episode eight, uh, Happy Family Planning, is about a group of friends that meet... Excellent yeah, title, too. A uh, group of friends that meet uh, from online and are going to have a very uh, fun time. And then, through a series <laughs> of revealing the chat logs that they have... You realize, oh, this is a suicide pact. And it involves a middle-aged gay man, a older man who I believe just, like, lost everything. I I forget why the old man, he might have just, like, come to a point where he's, like, done with everything. And uh, their third friend, or so it's uh, middle-aged... Which neither of them expected Young a man child. Is <laughs> Old man is Fuyubachi. And then there's yeah. Kamome, who is a little girl. And yeah. they're thinking, yo, we can't have you do this. Like, this is fucked. Yeah, and, and, and much of the episode, they're trying to run away from her. Yeah. And they're, like, trying to kill themselves before, like, she gets involved. Yeah. And it doesn't and, work out. Yeah. But then, you know, still begging to be like, hey, I want to be with you all. And there's just a beautiful series of slapstick scored by just very <laughs> like dark yeah very the darkest of humor <laughs> oh god just sure. very well done the score <laughs> shifts from the standard like uh Hirazawa uh pieces to something that's much more resembling of like a silent film or a like uh mm-hmm. Looney Tune just yeah very whimsical to offset the reality that like these are three people trying to kill themselves and, um, God, I think about this scene with the train <laughs> where they're, uh, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> where, um, they try to, or funnily enough, like, a uh, sh- quick cut to one of their, like, chat logs where it's like, you know, I hear that, uh, throwing yourself in front of the train is pretty romantic. They try and set this up. They try and have that plan. As soon as the train comes by, you just see another, like, salary man leap into the air and take that hit, and they're all just like, ugh. So, 
and there's like a pregnant pause that's very quiet. Yep. Like, and it's like, what the fuck? Like, like you, like, like as a view, like for the viewer to viewer service to process that just happened, the crowd in the the shot itself does not react for, for like a good solid several seconds, which is like baffling. Yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, and then uh, ultimately the big twist of this uh, episode is that surprise they were dead the whole time mm-hmm. and just beautifully done beautifully a very self-contained episode but at the same time still is very poignant to like the ethos of the show where it's just like you know there is a society that is being propagated where the happiest people arguably in this series are the ones that have already died and have one another in death while everyone else is still trying to find a means to grapple with whatever it is that is happening the only unequivocal unequivocal bliss is coming from the people that aren't even in the same plane of existence it also goes to your earlier points about like the core issue when, yeah, a lot, you know, of course, like, you know, the institutions, like, at play and, like, a lot of these things forcing people into their issues they have and further, like, you know, digging deeper. Um, just, you know, we see this in, like, the commuting scenes, like, on the train and people are, like, complaining, but no one's actually talking to each other. They're actually just texting someone on their phone or they're talking to phone, but no one's actually interacting with each other on the train. But we're seeing, like, this, you know, barrage of, like, comments and stuff. And not, you know, whatnot. And it's just visualizing and like giving you the viewer, like, okay, that's what they're talking about on their phones. And they're probably just posting on social media, et cetera. And, you know, the whole thing where like, um, Tsukiko, uh, she, you know, she goes to board. She, I think it's like a guest book on her website, actually. It seems like that's what that was. It's like comments on her personal, you know, she has to go to those things for validation. Yeah. You know, and then she sees the negative comments, and that's like an interesting like prelude to like the I, you know before before the viewer would typically know at that point like oh the whole thing is like fabricated, well the slugger's fabricated, like this issue of people internalizing their emotions and not really speaking out to each other and not really you know just instead re- resorting to ranting on social media or resorting to just like keeping it all in and instead like that's just encouraging more ge- negativity. Like you know the other side to the happy family playing episode is that. They, this is a, it's like the strangest found family story, you know, it's like, it's like they found each other in death, but on on the other hand, like, and they didn't even know they died until like the very end. They didn't realize like, oh shit. Okay. Which in some way, that's not like what they wanted. They kind of want, they wanted to experience death, but they just totally like slept on it, you know? And the implication is that at some point in the beginning, they were trying to kill themselves through poisoning in like an abandoned building. And I think it's in that moment where they actually died. Like the, the building actually was being destroyed <laughs> and because it was condemned and they didn't realize, you know, that was probably the point imp- to imply where they probably died. Um, but the whole point is like, you know, they're escaping life. They're trying to like, you know, they're, they're like, you know, like the, the child, I'm not sure. Very strange. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure why she wanted to die. Actually, I still don't know. Um, but it, it's very much like if they found each other earlier, there's something ironic and bittersweet where maybe they wouldn't have wanted to kill themselves. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole thing about like, if they, if they d- develop these human connections before they reach that point, they would have been much happier for it, you know, uh, you know, from whatever situation they were in that had led them to resort to this point. But instead, you know, ultimately they found it in death otherwise uh, <laughs> without them realizing it, 
with, you know, again, it just speaks to the whole, like, yeah, again, nature of the whole series where the human connection is, like, very broken in this, like, otherwise very dense big city. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, like, I'm trying to think about other episodes that really stood out to me. The latter half has some really solid just, like, one-shots. Like, I'm mm-hmm. also... The anime studio episode Mello is Marumi is very good. Just a very well-done mystery, really, about just, like, what's going on. ETC, uh, the episode in between... Episode 9. Also very fun mm-hmm. in terms of just being able to say, like... Again, like, it's not just the method of communication. You know, Kon having the chance to go back and say, I'm not just saying it's because you'd be on that phone here are like housewives <laughs> that are also having their fun with the uh rumors rumors that are going around and then <laughs> it's just one it's that but then also it's a very good isolation of when you can't get in on a bit and like how devastating that can feel if you're not in on the bit cuz god yeah. just yeah, new new housewife in the block is trying to converse with other uh, housewives in the area, and they're all telling like uh, gossipy tales about Lil Slugger. She tries to jump in on it, and at every single point, it's just like that didn't happen. How can you tell that goes? Like, just constantly getting berated for the fact that even though her husband is a scriptwriter. She somehow can't actually get a decent story going about, like, a little slugger attack. Then, you know, husband gets whacked. And then she's just like, yo, you gotta tell me what happened. I need this tea. I gotta impress the ladies. (laughs) Just, Paranoia Agent is a really funny show. Like, there is definitely the horror. It is, yeah. There's the It is, though. No, like, where it's funny, it's intentional, I think. I think, for me, I actually think a lot about, which is, um, what was it? Uh, Episode five, the fucking Dragon Quest ass episode. Fucking Dragon Quest truly was a cultural reset for Japan. The moment Dragon Quest existed, nothing was safe anymore. What (laughs) what were you going to do when that bubble popped, right? Like, that's how it (laughs) feels. You're sitting at home playing fucking Dragon Quest games you bought. Oh, for sure. And there's something to be said about too, specifically, you know, as I was saying, like, this series, yeah, very much is like, you know, again, it's it's very much a piece of media, another piece of media that is a very direct response to post-bubble, post-war Japan specifically. Like, again, a lot of the allusions towards nuclear, towards the end, and you see a lot of those allusions in the opening sequence, um, and, and kind of like weirdly enough in like how the shape of, I, I, I'm overlooking it, but like, I don't know, just like, just, just like, you know, and Maromi's oh design God, too. Not, yeah. I'm not, I know, like, it's, it's, it's a stretch to say like, oh, she looks like a mushroom, but also it's just like, it's, 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 it's blatantly like, yeah, a commentary on like how capitalism is in Japan and like, as much as I love this shit, as much as I would be that fucker who would be like, oh, yes, I would like a huge Maromi plushie, please. Yeah. It, it still doesn't exist. I don't know why to this day they haven't capitalized on <laughs> I, I feel like Cone has like, somehow said in some context, like, <laughs> don't you fucking dare. Don't, don't fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Complete opposite of Hideki Ono, who's like, yeah. yes, make well, the Ray finger, sure. Thing, like, Absolute image. <laughs> well, the biggest thing, too, it's like, I look at Paranoia Agent and I'm just going like, oh, you got to Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 like 16 years yeah. before Ano did. Yeah, early. But part of it is yeah. the fact that Absolutely, like yeah. Ano was very, Ava is a very like self in focused mm-hmm. story. So it could only, 
Oh, yeah. It would take the extra time to get to that point because of the fact that it would take Anno 16 years to actually, like, analyze his own series and... Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that shows, I'm sure, in the recent movies. Yeah, whereas, like, Khan has always been focused... His own growth. Khan has always been focused on, like, the societal aspect or, like, always looking outward in terms of, like, how things go. It's the reason why, like, so many of his works incorporate things where, like, he wants to have a focus on marginalized people if possible focused on marginalized mm-hmm. like aspects of japanese society if possible millennium actress is a very detailed love letter not only to japanese cinema but the reality that is being someone that is both affected by the past surrounding world war ii and everything that came out of that but then also the reality of japan's history as a imperialist right. country to an extent and the way that like it has also yeah. affected things no absolutely well it's, it's yeah. such a very like dense look at everything where it makes sense that after uh, like three consecutive movies focusing on these realities he goes ahead and makes a show that's just like an overarching theme but also every episode can be every other idea that could easily be its own like 90 minute or two hour work. Cause that's the thing. Yeah. I think the series yeah. was outright conceived because he had a lot mm-hmm. of ideas that he didn't know how to translate into movies per se. And I think the series too is a great, you know, I think this is one of his most underrated works because I feel like not a lot of people talk about it when talking about his movies. I feel like they, they're treated as separate things, but no, for sure. I think these, the series needs to be upheld in like when talking about film discussion as well. Mm-hmm. Cause like, yeah, I agree. Like a lot of these, a lot of these episodes can be treated as like standalone vignettes. Um, and episode five in particular, you know, like I was saying about like Moromi as a character, like, and like how, you know, the first, you know, the first, the first kind of like, character that establishes the, the web of like everything that happens in you know, Suku, uh, Sukiko um, that in itself is like a stand-in for like Hawaii culture and like unfortunately how yeah like all the huge merchandising and all that stuff in Japan and like the the hoarding mentality of like collecting figures it's like, you know that unfortunately is you know the, the series is kind of commenting on like how that is like just a band-aid effect to like a lot of economic issues japan faces and like again the whole going back to where like a lot of people are internalizing problems but not really addressing them or not or oh, unfortunately because the, the government's not addressing them so people have to turn to the stuff in this way as a way to like channel their frustrations and men yeah. and in episode five where the two detective te- detectives feel like they now na- narrowed down the suspect who might be actually a little slugger I, unclear at that point um he's just a fucking juni he like he is again dragon quest you know speaking of again dragon quest like the J- japan bubble pop um he just thinks he's like some sort of like warrior he has to defeat these monsters uh and he thinks he's saving him and they translate the episode in this goofy they come the episode is depicted in this very goofy way between reality and fiction and within this guy's head oh, like seeing the characters we've seen across these series as different boss types basically they're monsters and one of the detectives like is in on it and he's like yeah i get this shit which kind of foreshadows his own like fall into delusion towards the end of the series while the other other detective um ikari um is like what the fuck is this you know he's just like completely out of it um which in itself is ironic because towards the finale he succumbs to that especially um 
especially Lehman saying, like, you know, after the two of these guys lose their jobs because they kind of failed this case, right? Or I, I forgot what it was specifically. It was like they failed this case or like, you know, the, the mishandling yeah, of it to figure out who the sl- um, slugger was. I'm, I'm remembering yeah. now the suspect that they have, Kozuka, in episode five, yeah, basically yeah, yeah. kills himself while under custody. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And it's like, dude. <laughs> and then they find another guy, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, you know. Um, and yeah, ultimately, in the end, Ikari like falls into this delusion as well, where um, he's reminiscing with this old man, um, which I think, like, you know, like this incredible, stunning, like, finale where he goes into this like fantasy world that I think harkens back to the yeah. Showa era, right? I think that's what it's trying yeah, to do. Trying to be like, like towards a the eight, like late, like early si- late late sixties, eighties Japan. You know, he's like, you know, he's reminiscing about like, oh, the good old days where things were simpler and more black, you know, like one of those like boomer thoughts, you know, he's just like, and then, it, you know, that's where it also unpacks his relationship with his wife who is just dying, you know, and like that, you know, the hardships they were doing with that relationship between each other because of the guilt they felt with each other, but they never really talked again, internalizing emotions where they never really talked about it or they never really sat down together to really unpack like, you know. We shouldn't feel guilty about each other, but now we're at this point where, you know, I, you know, I'm, you know, his wife is dying and he has to move on and he has to accept reality. Like, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, yeah, yeah, just, just a very solid series, I think for sure. Like, and I mean, like the needs to be unpacked to more. Talk yeah, about the catalyst of everything, you know. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Sukiko made up uh, Lil Slugger, very much related as well to the mascot that everyone is loving uh yeah. marumi and the reason why yeah. is the fact that you know as a kid uh sukiko had a dog also named marumi and uh through just you know the sheer ignorance of a child leash gets loose car comes by kills the dog rather than admit to that cuz you know as a kid Immediately thinking, I let this happen. I'm going to get in trouble. Comes up with a lie. The lie being, someone came by and hit me. And I couldn't take care of the dog after. And I think that as well. Just the reality that it's like, at such a young age, this cycle can like become mm-hmm. implemented. Of just being able to... Uh, trying to find an escape rather than wanting to create a means to um, actually work alongside or like struggle through and give an attempt at what's going on. It, it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I'm also just on my teacher feelings about this, but it, it's like the, <laughs> the, the kid, or even just remembering growing yeah. up in like high school where it's like, it manifests yeah, the, if it doesn't get results. Yeah, for sure. And they're just like, oh, just kidding. It's like, you can say you're wrong. No one's going to blame you for being wrong. Right. But, like, that's the thing. There's such a laser-focused fear of not being in the right or of having to recognize that they're, like, there, there is consequence. <laughs> and that ultimately comes from the fact that, con- or, like, if you can't, create any kind of production or if you cannot you know add to the capital of someone else's overall gain then mm-hmm. you fall behind and you ultimately get left short and rather than do that there's yeah 
like like the whole like the whole thing where like Maromi's like fucking successful is making bank like in a joy, and yet she is Sukuga for some reason pressured to immediately make a new yep. character. God, that like that <laughs> like that is what yeah ten where <laughs> the like head of the marketing comes by and is like, oh, we're sorry that you're also overworked and that you're being very tired. To yeah. help you out, we made these Maromi the resentment. Pillows. Yeah. We're, we're giving you Oh, pillows. to the anime studio. We're giving you pillows <laughs> so that you can have something nice. I mean, well, they're, well, they're all fucking literally dying. Like, it's the most blatant, like, explicit, like, commentary on, like, the state of the anime stu- like, in- studio industry, like, hands down. Just that moment in particular. Be- you know, let alone the fact that they're, they're all dropping dead one by one. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That episode. Like, it's just... Um, God, I... I never gave the show a shot because I was legitimately too scared. Because, you know, the uh, legend that the cult legend that this show propagated in like, <laughs> Western circles of just like, yo, this fucked me up. But in reality, that that is that was its own paranoia agent. Um, it's, it's a very fantastic series. <laughs> if you somehow have not been yeah. convinced to check it out, like. Watch it. It's very palpable. It's fantastic um the yeah last thing, yeah i think it's generally yeah, accessible the, the too compared to his other like, work leave off of there there's a youtuber i watch every now and then whenever he posts stuff but he had been coming across this like film series specifically about satoshi Kon and very specifically looking at the filmography in a way that it relates to a very specific kind of greek philosophy where Basically, a lot of, like, anything in the world can be condensed down to the manifestation of love and hate as two separate energies, and these energies being in opposition, thus leading to, like, the creation of the elements, the creation of, like, everything else. Like, there is a continual movement of these two elements, specifically in terms of the possession of love, the loss of love, the absence of love, and the pursuit of love, and this just being a cycle that repeats. With Paranoia Agent, if I think about that framework, I immediately, like, think about the idea that there is a loss, starting out in the loss and absence of love, and ultimately the series argues for ways to have that pursuit and ultimately get back to that possession. That you start in the spiteful and the hateful, because that's just the way that this society works right now. (laughs) That's the way that... Waking up at an ungodly hour to make a piss poor to fairly decent amount of money for someone else that is making much more than you for hours that they do not have to worry about and for things that they will never have to worry about. Ultimately, the pursuit is for things that exist outside of that. And to have that love is to be able to recognize when you are able to really just exist as you are with the good and the bad. Yeah, the series truly, I think, encapsulates what, like, it has a lot of share, like, especially in terms of visuals um, and similar themes in regards to escapism and how certain pressures, you know, make, you know, institutional pressures, unfortunately, further worsen that experience. And, like, I I think with this being a precursor to Paprika, actually one of his last works, this makes a lot of sense. I think, like, in a way, this was kind of, like, a working demo of what Paprika ends up being, which is essentially 
about dreams, which is essentially about dreams and very similar themes of like, um, you know, falling into fantasy because you don't know how to cope with everything else in the world. So then you're, you're going to have to, fall, you know, falter that. You know, and arguably what might have influenced Inception, but we, you know, that's a different debate for a different day. Uh, <laughs> but I, this is for sure like another, for, for sure. He, he kind of has like a short library of work anyway, but for sure, if this is not something one has tackled yet in regards to Satoshi Khan, and if you're interested in his other work, this, this is like definitely a must. Um, if anything, this could be like a you know like this could be a intro- a great introductory piece oh, too. Um, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm going to say that's quite enough <laughs> paranoia agent <laughs> discussion. But I, I'm no, I'm I'm glad. I'm glad. I think like this is the type of conversations that I love to see. Um, love actually, to hear it. Actually, have this long this long additional speech from. Tr- tr- former yeah real works writer let's hear let's hear Trixie. opinions yeah let's hear opinions from the listeners so yeah we have this um i don't know if, do we have okay that is what we got okay we got this okay okay <clears throat> oh boy as satoshi Kon decided to work again with madhouse and shift gears from film to television an interesting thing happens Nearly right from the start, you can tell how much fun he and his team are having in every aspect. The shift from focusing on a small group of main characters to a wide variety of cast members, and from making a two-hour film into a 13-episode television show, kicks open the creative side of Cone in a much more direct and loose, yet still cohesive and fun way. Despite never missing, it's clear that the show is above and beyond a passion project, allowing people to realize just what it is that anime can do and get away with. In moving to television, Khan wanted to reuse several old ideas that weren't able to be worked in prior films. Squaring in on what Khan refers to as a race relay race method, aka hyperlink cinema, each new character in each episode is disparate from each other yet intrinsically connected, revealing a larger part of the show's mystery and its themes within each new line, each new character. While not new to anime at all, like Bakano, the way Khan and his team hop from character to character, storyline to storyline, in order to convey a loose and free-flowing narrative that all coalesces by its end akin to a dreamlike or fantastical state, much like his other works, is especially unique to his style. This allows the story to push the edge of what should be possible within its world, further and further until it spills over completely, with the fuzzy internal logic making sense all the way through. What makes Paranoia Agent stand out in particular compared to his other works is the message it conveys. In satirizing and critiquing Moe culture and an insistence on perpetually escaping from reality through fiction, themes that themselves find ways into his other works in some form, Satoshi Kon ends up touching on something much larger. His works before, and Paprika after, all flirt with the border of reality versus fiction versus dreams but I'll touch upon the more individual aspects of struggle despite the effects of society upon the individual. Paranoia Agent stretches this thought to include all aspects of society and how they intermingle with each other, emphasizing a collective need to stick together and help one another out. In perpetually escaping from reality through fiction, or continuing to ignore fiction altogether for the cold hard facts of the world itself, one shuts themselves out from others and risks giving in to the frantic, overwhelming nature of a capitalistic society, making it far too easy to give up. But in continuing to stand firm in the real world, being cautious of the effects of fiction without writing it off altogether, we can inspire hope in each other and push to make the world a better place, free from its nihilistic trappings and seductions, 
that is the most potent message Khan has ever left for us. Um, I think yeah. that's an that interesting uh, yeah. side of it because um, that's definitely t- taking another look at it. Like um, yeah, for sure. The the idea of it being focused more on the fiction, right? The mm-hmm. yeah, um, definitely something that I imagine Khan was probably considering as well. Um, yeah, because if you if you if you watch the series to the end, it, it, it definitely feels like it ends on a cynical note in a way. There's yeah. something about it that seems very, you know, towards the end, you know, you see at least Sukiko who seems like she's learned to move on. In some ways, it also implies she might have gotten a new job, too, because she's like wearing an office lady uniform, um, which is not something you would see often. in America. But like for sure, there's like there's some some offices in Japan, some companies seem like there's still like some sort of specific dress code in law offices, especially in regards to office women. Um, and, um, yet on the screen, um, and, and yet we see a repeating shot though from the first episode where on the train people are, again, are just, it's just a crowded train. No one's talking each other. There's like no one happy, but to be fair, commuting is hell. Mm-hmm. Yes, I get it. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the repeating of that first episode shot seems to suggest that it's, these things are cyclical, unfortunately, like something like Will Sugger is going to happen again in some manifestation. And on the screen, um, it focuses on a new cute character as well. Um, but I, I, but I think in some ways it's not entirely negative. It's not meant to be entirely cynical, um, especially, you know, with Trixie's very eloquent, uh, piece sh- shared with us. Thank you. Um, excellent. I think it pretty much sums up a lot of what we discussed as well and adds on to it. Um, um, especially in regards to we see snippets of some of the characters we've, you know, again, gone through the journeys of throughout the series where, again, they've moved on. But for sure, it definitely <laughs> it definitely harkens the me- message and hammers on like, listen, if things don't change, it's just if it's not going to happen to these people, it's going to happen to someone else. You know, that's kind of what it, it, it kind of yeah. gives. Right. Ooh, all right. I think we can say good program. Uh, good good show. program. Good job. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's certainly a shame because it, it would have been, again, he's he's like a film director, so, but it, it would have been so interesting if he's done other series. And like, I think this is the only one mm-hmm. technically. Yes, yeah, I, I believe, believe that's so. the case. He, yes. he, yeah, he has done work as like, you know, like not non-director, you know, he's like, oh, a key anime. But it, it would have been so interesting if he's done other formats. Um, it would have for even sure. just been interesting to see, like, how modern anime influenced oh, his yeah. work and <clears throat> yes, stuff like yeah. that. Because even just, like... Ten years later, yeah. Yeah, just the ten years has changed anime so, so much. much, right? Like, what I, I need to this say about Isekai oh, or something? Oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I feel it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I would love his take on Isekai. I would have loved him. To, I would have loved if he would own Isekai. I would have loved what he would have said he, about he Isekai. Just, like, yeah. absolutely. He, he would have done actually on, like, the fucking hospital bed the entire time. After getting hit oh, by the fucking God. truck. Yep. Yep. God. It would, it, yeah. Oh, God. Speaking of Isekai. Yeah. Uh, no! no. <laughs> <laughs> proper. No, we don't have to go straight to Isekai. Uh, Maverick, we can take a break from Isekai. Yeah, we can take a break from Isekai. Maverick, what have you been watching? Do you want to talk about, uh, you know, a continuing show or something that you checked in on? I can do a little bit of both because I think there's like a very specific connecting point for both. But um, sure, go for it. So Blue Period has been continuing along, and it's a very interesting position. Like, still focused in on. Yuichi, yeah, Yuichi's uh, growth as an artist, 
The new uh, setup recently is that like he's going to a prep program, just getting additional like art prep on the side to get ready for those uh, evals and upcoming tests. Uh, not only did we get a uh, very uh, tall milf in the uh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, no, she rolls. <laughs> She's really cool. Mm. She's a great teacher. Great teacher. <laughs> Great art teacher. Uh, honestly, all all the art teachers so far, like low key, like some baddies. Like yo, like <laughs> hey yo, like let's go. <laughs> but that aside, um, no, it just a very continual. Like it, it is still wanting the the lens of like having Yuchi as someone that is like so new to the world of art, where it's like. You know, oh, let's take you to the museum. Like, let's see if we can, like, um, appreciate what's a part of art. And, you know, the immediate thought is, like, oh, I don't know anything about this. I don't understand what's going on. And then have somebody be like, dude, if you engage with it thoughtfully, you still have an opinion on art. You still have an opinion that is valid, even if you don't have years of critique behind you. Because you're still putting your input in a capacity that lets you still, like, create... Uh, future work and then alongside that people are getting to a point where like work is being criticized in a way where it's like hey you know like you're again able to replicate things that are on the uh, you're able to replicate the reality onto canvas but are you putting your own perspective into it are you putting your own spin on it and slowly getting that idea of like oh okay like what art like a very well done thing in the recent episode of just being able to say like, hey, you know, if you look at this painting, like, what is the main composition? Is it mainly circles? Is it mainly like, like breaking it down in a way or even like me as someone that is not even like uh, painting or like drawing inclined was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it makes sense that if you're trying to set up a painting, like you would want a specific kind of style or delineation to it. And taking that to heart alongside a lot of stuff where, like, ultimately that just pushes him to a next level of his art in a way where it's like, oh, there's more things that I can think about. And so that's been neat to see. And then, uh, funnily enough, or not funnily enough, but just, like, something that I didn't even expect when it came to things that would come up in the show and then now that I think about it, has not really been touched on recently, is the uh, existence of a canonically queer character in Blue Period. And let me go ahead and find her name again so that I can not fuck it up. And not... uh, Let me see here... The manga. Alright, it is a... uh, yeah, Yuka, I believe. Ayakawa. Is. And I I am still using the phrasing of queer, if only for the fact that I recognize that Japan's interpretation of gender is uh, different at points to the way that often gender and sexuality can be interpreted in the U.S. And at least recognizing that in terms of parallels to what we have in terms of language and recognition, you or Yuka is trans and like has been 
trying to use art as a means to deal with her own like feelings about her gender and the way that like that comes into ways that trying to find herself involved with other people and just like episode two had a very immediate conversation with that where it's like oh wow i didn't recognize that this was going to be brought up in any capacity i had not read the manga as well and so to have this just come by not even in like a because anime just has a very sordid history with queer representation if it's like a if Mm -hmm. it is anything that is popular and often like helmed by a straight cis showrunner or writer Mm-hmm. And so to have mm-hmm. something that like took the time to be pensive about it and again, like f- thinking about it from translation to like spoken audio track, something like English can inherently be gendered. And so some stuff comes across in a way where it's like, is that the language that could have been used? But then still giving enough grace to think, okay, this might be better represented in the native language but also just you know it wasn't anything that tried to be gross it gave yuka the space to have an exploration about how she is feeling about this and ultimately i'm just hoping that there is more of her in the near future so that's how that's going i had seen some posts about uh the uh, the character from Comey. Um Yeah, and um, I can go a little bit into Comey, but I can do that like in a. Uh, yeah, you can do yeah. it later. It's fine. It's fine. Which again, uh, some... but that was making me think of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh no. Yeah. Huh. Well, you know, you talking more about the show makes me do- does make me want to like you had already got me a little bit last time and now it's not bad kind of like just, yeah but sometimes being able to have a thing that's not bad is enough like motivation yeah i get you yeah totally um all right uh so i now i'm sorry isekai time uh, <laughs> at least you apologize it's okay it's okay <laughs> only one of these is an isekai so oh, it's fine. Okay. Uh, the hit, the Hitman Isekai, which uh, I did find out, and this really did. This was like when you find out like the hidden lore that connects everything. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I watched three episodes of this, and then I found out the dude who made it made a redo of Healer. Oh. The, oh. The uh, unfortunate anime from a couple seasons ago. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and I was like, oh my god, this makes every woman in this show make sense. Um, okay, so... <laughs> oh no! It's not that bad. It's not okay. as bad, but it's it's reflective okay. of a, of a right. mindset, you, right? It's like, oh, I, it's like you have the moment of, like, realization. Yeah. Understanding. It. It's like, oh no, it makes sense, yeah. So this show's really funny, conceptually. I like it a lot. Basically, <laughs> this 70-year-old hitman dies, and then, like... A goddess is like, hey, I need you to fucking, like, be a hitman in my isekai world because I fucking really need you to kill the hero of this so, world. So, this is interesting. This is already different from several other isekai where it's like, oh, you gotta do your same job in yeah. your previous life. So, okay. That kind of yeah. sucks. And, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, so, so she's like, so by the time you turn 18, of course, 
uh, you have to kill the hero and you can take whatever skills you want. You have to take like, you know, like whatever, the, like a specific type of skills, but you can take whatever skills you want, but you have 17 years and I'm going to do everything I can in my power to like set you up good in life so that you can do this situation, but you better fucking kill that guy. And it's just basically this dude from birth basically planning out an assassination. Oh, man. Um, and that part is funny. The parts where it shows the real world where he was like a, a normal hitman was really funny. Because, mm-hmm. again, old man. Um, it's, uh, it, it is interesting to see, like, this is a show about, like, you know, being a hitman, what that entails and stuff like that. Not, like, the glamorized, like, I'm a little rogue. Like, but it is, I think, like, the difference is he was, like, a, like, standard, you know, mercenary-type hitman in real life. But, like, in the fictional world, he's very much, like, a, like, Assassin's Creed hitman, yeah. right? Like, the type that's, like, oh, we're politically minded. Like, we're, we're, we're making sure we have a belief system and stuff like that. And him trying to, like, intersect with that. Um, at its core, it is fundamentally just another isekai, right? It is. Right. Oh, he's doing cool skills. All these women show up. But it is... there. Uh, he is, like, sociopathically planning out every single relationship with all of these people so that he can mm-hmm. use them for his epic assassinations. And that's yeah. the part where I, like, go, oh, yes, this is the redo of Healer Guy, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it, it doesn't get in the way of it. I, it is not overwhelmingly, like, misogynistic or anything. It is not, like, horny, really, either. Um, it's, like, there's some boobs, but it's it's not that bad. Um, it's it's something. It, it is something. It is the most... It, it's it's one of the more fun isekais in recent time, is what I'll say, as the sicko who is watching all the isekais for some reason. Um, That's good, at least. I, so th- that reminds me, this next one, I thought this was an isekai, just real quick. Uh, banished from the hero's party, I decided to live a quiet life in the countryside. Thought this was going to be an isekai. It is not. It's normal fantasy. Wow. Um, you can do that? And you can just do that if you can believe it. Some Somehow, you, they find a way. Uh, this is one of those, the dude just fucking quits and makes a potion shop. Doesn't want to oh, deal with yeah, shit Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I remember um, the description of You know this. me, I love me and my potion shops when we watch mm-hmm. Shiryuki and shit. Love that. <laughs> um, but this is... Um, the thing that strikes me about this show is I think it has it has some interesting ideas with what it's examining. It's doing some things like, hey, like, we're actually going to talk about some of the issues with capitalism that come into play, like even in this small urban setting, like what does capitalism prevent? Oh, the dude literally invents a potion that would let them create infinite healing drug, right? Like, like infinite mm-hmm. healing potions. They could make infinite healing potions with this thing he wants to sell. However, the guild won't let him sell it because then like, well, then no one will buy healing potions anymore. And it's just like, wow, like just like light bulbs. Um, and there's a couple other stuff like that. And it's just like him him skirting around to figure out what he can sell at his store. Like, oh, we can't sell like this new potion that I made. So instead we have to get around the laws around prescription drugs and <laughs> make Damn. them into medicinal cookies. 
Damn. And just a lot of stuff like that that's fun. And that's like half the show. The other half is this really weird thing where he just has his like beautiful elf wife. And his beautiful elf wife has the most ridiculous outfits that I've ever seen where she's always wears just low cut shirts Mm. that have like the entire top of her boobs out. But Mm -hmm. this is more egregious. Her outfits also all have armpit windows. And I I think that's a sin. That is a sin. I think, like, I was, like, so when, like, I noticed, like, her fifth outfit she was wearing was... So she's, like, wearing long sleeves, but there's, for some reason, holes. Yeah, I'm going to find an image for you. No, Um, I I already know what this is. Okay, you can just accept it. You don't have to see. I won't make you see. Um, (laughs) Tube top. But, yeah. uh, No. You you can just design your character in a tube top. Yeah, so she's basically doing that is the thing. But But she does the same. It's not like... It's, yeah, not no, like it, you, it's, it's not like Raymu from Toho, where it's like, oh, she has like, yeah, the bell well, no, sleeve you just, things. Y- you dive into your inner fucking 2000 Draver and you get the fucking like arm, <laughs> like, the arm sock. I know, like, it is weird why, why, why she's just not full sleeveless then, but. Yeah, you no, know, I was like, thing. I respect it. <laughs> but I do not respect it uh, after the armpit. I noticed the armpit one finally, like, on the. F- I wouldn't respect that either. No. No. <laughs> um, Come on. It's impractical as well. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But again, like, (laughs) I think the show in general is fine. Like, it is, it is, these, they're normal. They're all normal. They're normal people. They're being normal. I'm interested to see how it intersects with, like, basically this guy was, like, his sister is the the hero. And Mm -hmm. another member of the team was just basically like, hey, man, you don't level up as much as the rest of us. So get the fuck out of here. Like, we don't want you here. And he was just like, okay. Um, but I'm interested to see, like, there's drama going on with that group and how that intersects later on. But as is Quiet Slice of Life in Fantasy Town, you know, it's fun. Sometimes you just do sword. He teaches some kids about life lessons. It's fun. Easy going. Um... Elvie. Yeah. What's going on with The Vampire Dies in No Time? Because I was thinking of watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious um, Hush. Sometimes a lot and sometimes not much. Um, yeah. It's it's uh, it's like funny where it's funny, like legitimately funny. And then where it misses, it's really bad or really corny. Um, uh-huh. So the premise is that um, we're in this world where... Um, you know, there is like an economy of like vampires and monsters that exist, but then it's okay because then there's also like an industry of vampire hunters who are keeping things at bay. And it's a very lighthearted comedic setting, you know, no, no, no biggie. Um, the main premise is that this one guy who's trying to be taken seriously as a vampire hunter is unfortunately now stuck uh, with a roommate vampire who actually fucking sucks as a vampire <laughs> named named Jarluk. Um and he's just bad at being a vampire. Like, one of the jokes in the first episode is like, why are you even a vampire? What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, he literally just dissolves into sand at any slight damage to him. He fucking can't do, like, basic vampire powers which, without, again, basically the equivalent of, like, overpowering himself and then shutting down. So he turns into sand. He just turns into sand a lot. It's, it's really funny. Um, and yeah, the first episode is, like, he's trying to, like, raid this guy's castle, Jerluk. 
um, the vampire hunter, um, he, because there's like a kid he's holding hostage or whatever. And it turns out the kid's fucking fine. The kid's just like vibing, playing video games. He just thinks the vampire's weird and like he's not doing anything to him. Um, yeah, and it's just it's just a lot of sl- really good slapstick comedy in that whole episode where it's just like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? And the kid just being like, you two adults are like insane. I'm fine. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. Um, and the end is basically like he just ends up the, the castle catches on fire and uh, utterly crumbles down. Um, and then, yeah, now this guy's stuck with him, which goes against the standard of like vampires need to be invited in. But whatever. So this is the premise. We're in. Basically, again, I, I guess just an odd couple situation two oddball roommates stuck with each other and they don't like each other. And the thing is, like, they're all like short bits. So like one episode kind of the one episode might have like three to four segments to it. So three to four like bits, three to four skits. So I, I wonder if, like, the manga, like, I wonder if it's, like, actually, I'm not sure if it's based on anything, actually. I, I didn't really check. Um, but if it is, I can imagine it might be, like, a gag uh, manga. But or not, um, we're, like, you know, again, just to reiterate, where it's really funny, it's really funny. The first episode is really strong, like, like was consistently strong off the bat. I just couldn't stop laughing at just, like, how absurd things were going. Um, there was a moment where, um, you know, Drew Luke moves into this guy's place. Um, and he just, you know, like the hunter comes in and he's like, I, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Um, and then for some reason, Drew has like a pet armadillo named John, <laughs> which is really good. Um, the best character for no reason other than the fact that it's very cute. It does. Ha- it has no spoken lines whatsoever. It just makes cute noises. Um, and there's a recurring bit with John where characters keep apologizing to John for stressing it out whenever something ridiculous happens. <laughs> um, and, you know, the hunter's asking, like, where the hell did that armadillo come from? I didn't even see it in your castle. And they, like, cut to, like, a weird blurry, like, moment back to the, to the castle where they zo- where <laughs> the camera zooms in. on one of the traps in which one of the traps in like the castle was like a bunch of these cannonballs shooting through the walls and they free free they freeze frame a moment where they show like this orange ball midair and they point at like that's john the armadillo he was there this whole time it was really good (laughs) like where's like like again solid there are solid moments like that where Uh just the timing and like (laughs) the timing of it is just very good um and yeah, like I was saying, like they keep apologizing to John because of like everything absurd happening. And there's another bit where like, for some reason, the hunter's like, "Oh, I, I can use John as like a weapon." Like I, I don't know. It was like there's an agency in this world where like again they're keeping vampires in check and they're checking like if they're misbehaving. It's like, oh, we gotta like arrest them or we gotta send the hunters on them. Um, and one, I think one of them decided to um. Like, like an, an an inspection check. I forgot what the context was, but like one of them, she decided one of those agents. She decided to like visit their like the hunter's home to check in if there's like any shenanigans. And the hunter's like, "Oh fuck!" Like, yeah, she they know like I have a vampire living with me, and they're like gonna you know like like my ass on fire over it. And he's like, you know, what if I just kill him now so like they don't have to deal with me? You know, like you know, and, and it also has something to do with his pedigree. Like, I think the hunters have like a quota or something to miss. They're basically cops, which is fucked up. Uh, <laughs> um and um. He, for some reason, comes up with this absurd idea where he's like, oh, yeah, Drulik is in another room and the agent doesn't have to know the vampire is here right now. So I'm going to take John, the armadillo, and I'm going to toss him in the other room. Um, he, he like, takes the armadillo. He spreads garlic paste on the armadillo. Uh. <laughs> rolls the armadillo in a ball. 
and throws it in our room. But he fucks up. And John Armadillo is now unfortunately thrown over an armoire, like, or a closet instead. And the poor thing is just up there in peril. Like, it's just like, oh my gosh, this fucking armadillo is the best thing about this show. <laughs> and how it ends anyway is that John accidentally kills his owner, the vampire, at the end of that the skit. Anyway, because he comes into, yeah, absurd. But yeah, where it fails in the humor is like, it, it resorts, it sometimes just resorts to really juvenile stuff, like like dumb sex humor sometimes, like which I did not expect. I was like, whoa, I thought it would be like a white family friendly comedy, you know? But stuff like where um, sometimes vamp other vampires come to them for problem solving. Um, and this one vampire, like, um, apparently like a lot of vampires have very, specific specialty skills that like would not be typically associated with vampires things like um oh this vampire can control plants you know like um yeah just control plants and vegetation and you know like and and like there's a whole thing where like the different hunters are competing to tackle the case etc and the end result is that like oh he control like like he controls vines with his dick like that's the, that's the funny part like that's the bit it's like oh come on like that's not like please like that is literally the joke like oh it's a weird sexual thing right um and another one is like um this other vampire is able to can transform into anything it wants but like it's having such a hard time uh going back to its normal his normal state because um and he's just stuck in like this gross monstrous creature form like it's just like you know it's just like a vague monster like it has multiple like a children's dry like it has multiple eyes and tentacles everywhere etc and Droluk and the hunter realize, oh, this guy is having problems transforming back because he's fucking horny. Like, that's the problem. Like, oh, he's horny. And then they do this whole thing where they're like, you know what? If we desensitize him with porn, he's going to be fine and he's going to turn back. And they, they actually, like, kind of almost get it right. They're like, oh, okay. Like, he's just... He just needs to dehorny or whatever. He he needs he needs the post come clear post come brain clarity, right? They don't show anything, obviously, but that's like the joke. Like he yeah, has yeah. to like yeah. Uh, and then the and then the skit ends where like a girl walks into the room and he turns back into a monster again, and it's like oh okay, you know like 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 it's just like oh gosh, there's yeah, it's just like half misses like that where it's just very juvenile humor that's mm. not really great. Um, but then other shit, like, the fucking armadillo, like, that's it, it's perfect, like, it's great. So it's, it's definitely not something, uh, I would probably follow consistently, but here and there, I'll probably, like, dip my toes into it, so, you know, um, yeah, where, it's one of those things where, again, where it hits, it hits, and then where it doesn't, it's just really bad, and it's like, oh, god, this could be better. It, it also looks great, like, I don't know, the colors of the show is great, it's, like, very eye-popping and very stylish for what it is really which is just a gag show to be honest um they really put a lot of work into the color design of the show it's it's really fun to look at it does have like kind of like what the aruma color design is which again I, oh, I don't know, it yeah. seems like it seems to be a thing across like these halloween-esque like not horror but has horror themes um shows where they have this very bright saturated comic-y color palette to it to evoke halloween you know like here's a lot of yeah. oranges here's a lot of bright purples you know um yeah the vampire dies in no time he dies a lot and there's john the armadillo which um he's never safe <laughs> but he always ends up safe nothing bad ha like so much bad happens to him but thankfully he turns out fine and there's no animal no animals were harmed i think <laughs> what this is making me pine after is just more sleepy princess yeah things oh yeah maybe, again another show with a similar that. color design yeah yeah like but like just more. goofy ghouls and monsters yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. I think there was a, there was a second season like announced for that, right? I don't know if if there is. I would be very stoked yeah. about that because that was I think I we think all agreed was. was like our favorite show last year. Yeah, and Aruma has a season three in the works too. So oh, of course, yeah, that yeah. one I knew. But. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, great show. Um. All right. Uh. All right, did you want to talk about uh, Comey now, Maverick? Yeah, I can dig into it. Or... So, All uh, right. the other Netflix show that I've been watching, and has a few episodes now at this point, is Comey Can't Communicate. The <clears throat> recent uh, acquisition that is also being simulcast on Netflix, which, again, a shocker. I Part of me feels like after seeing the way that like Beastars Season 2 came out, I feel like that's a catalyst for... Whenever they get something that's like lucrative and they want to like put some effort into weekly simulcast might help them there. But that aside, uh very, very simple premise for Comey Can't Communicate. Basically, just uh in a high school, everyone is new, everyone is at this uh prestigious yeah, prestigious academy for individuals that are able to come by and uh, we have our focus centered on two specific people, the titular Komi and a uh, other student named Tadano. Tadano, his whole feature being that he is a very milquetoast little boy, but at least knows <laughs> how to like read the room and understand what the social cues are at the time. Komi is a stoic and quiet individual who constantly gets adoration and appreciation from everybody around her, where in reality, she is just very socially anxious. And that stoicism and sense of a never-ending confidence are really just her shutting the hell up because she does not want to speak. But no one really understands that, aside from Tadano. And so, through a chance encounter, the two are able to get a chance to communicate with each other, and uh, Komi confesses that, hey, I want to make a hundred friends at this new school. And Tadano, recognizing the earnestness in this request, goes ahead to help her in her mission to make 100 friends, all the while realizing that everyone in this school is fucking batshit. And hijinks ensue. Overall, it's been cute. Like, it's just a very comforting show. Like, the first episode had the... What I would say is the scene that put a lot of people... Like, it put Komi on the map for a lot of people, either in the manga or the show itself. Where, in the classroom, after everyone else has cleared out, uh, there's this encounter between Komi and Tadano that ultimately leads to... Like, oh, hey, you are just shy, aren't you? Everyone else is, like, stricken by your good looks and the way that, like, it seems like you just don't care about anything and all, all the laundry list of things that people will just, like, get fucking head over heels over when in reality this is just a very socially anxious girl that doesn't know how to speak to people. But Tadano at least sees that and there's just a very poignant moment where... Rather than speak it out, 
uh, he realizes, like, oh, we can just use the chalkboard to, like, communicate with each other for now, and let's start from here. Just a very warming scene of just, like, ultimately this is a rom-com scenario, but Tadano is a very earnest person where it is helpful that at the sign of recognizing that Komi needs a friend, he's not insisting that he'll be the first one. Rather, is at least open to being the person that can help to navigate future relationships and future friendships with people. He is a genuinely, like, forward and unassuming protagonist, but also in a way where it's like he is considerate of other people and is wanting to do the best by other people. And it's just refreshing in these kinds of shows where it can definitely become something that is much more sinister. And that aside, uh, we do have other characters. And from these characters, I also mentioned that this is something that uh, Komi Can't Communicate shares with Blue Period, that it is also another show that prominently features a queer character in its uh, ensemble, specifically uh, Najmi Osana, which, looking at the... uh, Wikipedia article just says a character with ambiguous gender, but uh, ultimately, like, femme-coded. It is a femme-coded character, and she just is very eager to work with other people. Like, very popular, knows every A very funny bit that everybody in the school is her childhood friend. Just through <laughs> happenstance. Just knows everybody. <laughs> Nisekoya yeah, shit. Yeah, Nisekoya shit. <laughs> but someone else that, like, misunderstood Komi's, like, just abject quiet nature as, like, a sense of superiority or a dismissal of, like, wanting to communicate and just ultimately becomes that second friend who then takes every advantage to try and just not necessarily torture Komi, but just create a lot is very much trying to do the exposure therapy version of trying to get Komi to open up uh the second episode had a very good bit where the joke was oh hey Komi can you get me this drink at Starbucks and then proceeds to list out a very complicated uh order Komi goes to the coffee shop cannot order this to save her life but then the barista is like Oh my god, I'm like a ninth level black belt barista. I should be able to make this order without her even telling me it. He gets the wrong order. Komi cannot argue with not not even argue, mind you. Komi cannot bring herself to say this is the wrong order. Takes the coffee back. Uh Najimi sees it and it's just like, oh hey, this is the wrong order. And Komi is on the verge of tears in a way that Komi... I feel it. In, in a way that just, like, uh, <laughs> Najimi and Tadun are like, oh, we fucked up, we fucked up, I fucked up, I feel bad. <laughs> and just very... Uh, it it likes to poke fun at the situation of social anxiety, but in a way where it's like the there's always a narrator at the beginning that's like, 
People with social anxiety have difficulty making friends. It's not that they don't want to. It's just that it can be difficult. It, like, it wants to show a positive light in this very real thing. And I appreciate the humor that it comes across with at points. Uh, today's episode, because it did have a episode coming, er, simulcasts on Thursdays. But um, today's episode had a nerdy, semi, like, also... Uh, shy character come up and try to like fill in the next slot as uh, Comey's next friend but then immediately was like oh I can be your dog though you can order me around and I'm just like hey yo like <laughs> hold up we you're, you're going 60 in a 25 per mile zone right now like chill and then the next, like, segment, and, uh, I would say, like, Comey's broken up as, like, different segments, and so the second segment for mm-hmm. that episode was, like, oh, Comey bought a flip phone. We should try and get her to, uh, get people's phone numbers down and, like, try to practice that way. And then comes back to this, like, new friend, and it's just, like, oh, do you want me to take some slutty photos and be just, like, a whole, uh, just submissive little bitch for you? And I'm just, like, hey, yo. <laughs> Like, tone it. Unfortunately, too real sometimes. I feel like that's... Relax. (laughs) Relax. (laughs) Like, I'm feeling like I should be here with, like, a spray bottle. Uh. But at the same time, like, I at least get it because of the fact that, like, that is... Like, the people in the school are obsessed with... They worship Komi. (laughs) Where it's like, uh-huh. you know, there's a continual popular character that is just, like, constantly calling Tadano trash in her head. Because she's just like, how dare you hang out with Komi? How dare you be in her breath? How dare you do... And it's just like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But just, oof. You know, they might be one-note characters, these 100 friends that she'll make. But <laughs> we're going to see. So far, I've still been enjoying it. It's still a fun time. It's, again, interesting to see just, like, the gradual propagation of uh, queer characters in anime in a way that isn't diminutive or immediately, like, a parody. Yeah. Like, not a Cowboy Bebop type situation, for example, where it's, like, not, um, not the character in Space Line... But there is a character in Space yeah. Line who is this, where like, and the movie as yeah. well um, for Cowboy Bebop, right? Like that type of thing. That's you. You just run into that so often. Yeah, where it's like wanting to have a different conversation about how these characters can be existing, and I mean, bringing it back, like Satoshi Kon, very like poignant in the way that he or Tokyo Godfathers is one of the more loving portrayals of a trans character in like anime media. I would say still realistic mm-hmm. to the reality that like there's a lot of like microaggressions that she has to deal with but in a way that ultimately still like provides her with the ability to just be a very positive individual in the whole film but yeah like it's very uh, hopefully it's not a case where i have to like count on my fingers how many positive like queer representations there are in anime and not necessarily like, oh, this is a role model, but at the very least, it's like, the joke isn't, oh, you're not straight or Th- Yeah, they are. The joke is, 
oh, you're just, like, you're a manipulative little shit. Or the joke is, oh, you just, like, you do art, but also, like, this is your way to, like, try and flirt around with people. Where it's at least more representative of the character itself rather than a part of the character's identity. Yeah. Like, oh, you're actually a human being. You're, like, a well-rounded character that has both flaws and positive things about it. Yes. Yeah, well, who, who, who'd have thunk? <laughs> that across, yeah. Who'd have Yeah, who'd have thunk, right? <laughs> like, you're allowed to have issues, but you're also allowed to not be one-dimensional, you know? <laughs> exactly. Also, both have really banger OPs, I gotta say. I did see the Comey one, I think you but you had mentioned yeah. it. It is it's pretty good, yeah. Comey OP is solid it's and then solid. Blue Period I at least like I, I like the song itself. Very fun song. Alright. Um let's see here. Uh okay, so for me, last thing is Deep Insanity, which is I think it's called like Lost Child or something. Um This is a show where the premise is like, hey, there's this fucked up hole made in a style in Antarctica. Yeah, and, and everyone's like, let's go. Oh. <laughs> Not everyone's like, let's go. Um, but it is like... How do I put this? The There's like some sort of... Pan, the lost child. Okay, there's like some sort of pandemic, but it's like ingrained on a... I don't know how to... There's a mysterious illness. Here we go. I, f- I found it to, to put this right because I only knew the name. There's a mysterious illness called Randolph Syndrome, uh, which is affecting a ton of people across the world. And it, it, this is an interesting choice, I have to say, to, you know, make this. Uh, this this manga, the series, started before the pandemic, but they just really yeah. just went ahead with it. And, like, that, the game and the anime came out now. Uh, bold choice, I want to say, mm. to make a pandemic kind of thing. It, it barely has to do with stuff, but still, um, it's like Randolph Syndrome is making everyone sick. It's changing the world, so we have to send people into the hole in the South Pole where this disease is coming from, and it has crazy monsters in there, and you got to fight them. Um, and. You hear that and you go, oh, it's probably really edgy. And then the reality is it's like, oh, hey, this this kid is like, man, I don't know what I want to do for work. So I guess I'll just join the crazy Antarctica people. And he goes there and he goes down there. And then it's just him being like, wow, all the people on my squad have issues. I'm just some guy. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> like, I thought that it was going to, like, examine it at all, but, like, the second episode is, like, him being, like, man, everyone hates me because I'm, like, they're all here for traumatic reasons. Like, I need to pay for surgery or I need, I need you know, I came here because, like, my my loved ones are in a coma or something and, like, right. from the syndrome and I want to try to find a cure. Like, all this stuff. And then he's just like, oh, man, I was bored. They hate me because I'm neurotypical. <laughs> 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> and he's like, man, I... I'm a normie. Yeah, he's like, how do I make people like me? So the second episode is just him like talking to this idol girl and she's dealing with her like idol stress. But it's just so like, it was just like a generic like drama episode of any other anime. And I was like, what does this have to do with the giant hole that's killing people? <laughs> like, this is episode two. Um, very strange. Episode three, like, they at least went in the hole in episode three, but... Okay. It's it's a very strange show. It has very weird pacing. I think the last episode I watched ended with, like, it, the guy's boss, like, being like, since you're the only, like, one who's normal here, I have to ask you to do my special mission. Can you go kill this kid for me? <laughs> like, this, like, ten-year-old... Uh-huh. It was like, wow, okay, where is this going then? So I'm interested to see where this goes, but this is such a weird thing. I don't understand how cross-media stuff is still happening if I'm going to level with you. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever... Th- can you name a successful cross-media franchise? Like, in terms of recently like, or just Yeah, in like something that... I mean, even just in well, general. Love like, Live. Love Live. So I was going but to in say in a way, that, it was sure, like the, one of the first... I think the problem is it's one of the first ones, I think, to... Like, yeah. in the 2010s, you know? So I think that makes sense. And especially it, it coincides with an already successful genre of, like, anime idols. Yeah. And, so, like, but what else? Like, I can't... I mean... I guess Pokemon counts, but at the same time, it's a different. But that's like it's because I'm. I'm understanding. Rose is talking about something specific. Like thinking about what specifically it is. Like a a simultaneous anime mobile game plus one other thing. Yeah, plus like CDs or something, or like novel. Yeah, it's difficult (laughs) because it's like so much of it relies on like a selling of the product, but at the same time, it's like you need the product to exist on its own before you can actually get into the material i mean earlier like rose and i were talking about the scarlet nexus anime now that we are both some ways into the game and ultimately one is lacking in presentation over the other because of the fact that there's a condensed format that you have to work with there yeah as opposed to the other that will give you the space and is designed to have more space in order to like navigate character relationships and just get into what characters are with one another. Yeah, it's... I, I think especially the thing that gets me with this stuff, even with Scarlet Nexus, right? right, Like, with that, like, this, these, these are all, like, original concepts. I think that's what mm-hmm. gets me. Like, I don't... I don't understand where the boldness is coming from, is what I mean. Like, because you look at what is successful as a multimedia franchise in America. Like Pokemon. Yeah, you get Well, Pokemon. not America, but yeah, well, Pokemon. Even, I mean, Marvel yeah, stuff. kind of. Marvel stuff, like, yeah, yeah like children's TV shows. They, they all have pre-established, though, I think what Maverick was, like, they all have pre-established IPs. Like, they yeah, started off exactly. as one thing. They, 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 they didn't launch out the gate as, like... Here's every like here's this story and everything and every single media that exists right now. Marvel, Marvel again. The obvious source like these were just comic book characters. Like when those people made those characters and put published those things, they I don't I don't know at that point in time if they conceived it like oh it was gonna be a multi million fucking dollar franchise for sure. No comic book creators to this day are deeply underpaid and those people are not getting royalties as they should. But to my point, something like Pokemon, which started off as a series of games, I don't think it's. I don't think at that point in time, Satoshi Tanjiri thought about like, oh yeah, 
there's going to be movies attached. You know, like, no, whenever someone makes yeah. a creative project, they're not thinking, they want it to be, you know, any artist wants to, their stuff to be successful. Any artist wants, like, oh, if they have an original story, I like, oh, I want this to be, but I don't think, uh, no one's really thinking about the long term of, like, the implications of this exploiting to, like, different media formats. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I think there is a specific, <clears throat> there is a specific word for, um, or there has to be some sort of specific term now, especially for what you're talking about, Rose, specifically, which is, yeah, the MOBA game, the, the anime, the mo- yeah, uh, spe- specifically targeting the anime market, the uh, anime demographic specifically. But all I'm getting right now is just mixed media project, which might yeah. be just it. Because I'm like looking at the current uh, incomplete Wikipedia page for it, and it is talking about things like Pokemon. It, it brings up Yu-Gi-Oh! as an example. But it redefines the, those things as bigger media franchises at this point. It's, um, they're actually using the words transmedia, cross media. Like those are kind of different categories at this point. They're, they are connected to mixed media. But like I said, I think what distinguishes them is that they were something else before they launched into exploring other media formats before that. Um, interesting. Japan Sinks was an early example of this in Japan, at least. In the 1980s, because huh. Japan Sinks indeed does have a jillion adaptations to it, actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people are aware of the Yuasa one, but there actually is a million other Japan Sinks things before the Yuasa anime, actually. You know, uh-huh. Like, literally, there are different iterations of it for every decade, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it, it really feels like the same way that game developers get put their eggs in the basket for esports, yeah. and it's like you can't oh, make yeah. a game for esports, right? It's like the same way. Yeah. Like, you can't make a story that works in for a professional competitive yeah yeah you can't you can't make this thing that works in these all all of these crazy formats until you know that people actually like it and that's that's what i mean is just like i feel like especially now in like this era where it's very clear that so much of anime is just being pushed out to die right like it's Mm -hmm. just there's there's seven billion isekai shows like half of them don't even get watched by anyone mm-hmm. like why would you dump it all like why would you dump so many resources into these original properties on such a grand scale it's just so weird it's just yeah that's capitalism then, i guess right it's just yeah no yeah it's like it's a shame that, yeah, like, it's like, it's not giving those ideas that could be much better reading room because a lot of the other investment is like, no, we got to capitalize on making this in other formats, too. We got to have the game. We got to have the fucking the, the promos. Or, yeah, all these promos around it, the CDs, etc. Um, as opposed to just investing a lot of energy in the story itself, which ends up becoming milk toast because of <laughs> because of like the priorities are not like where they should be it can't just be an original story if it didn't have it, it this 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 bad mindset that i think is self-sabotaging it's like no it can't succeed as an original story because it doesn't have anything else attached to it right um not to not to say that a lot of these things are also just bad inherently um but for sure i think for i think for some of them that missed a mark or for some that like i don't even know exists like you said like unfortunately like uh, there's like a lot of these stories being put out where it's like i don't know what this is because i didn't even realize it existed um because no one ta- yeah it's just it's just being thrown out there like no one's no one's catching it um maybe that's something that could have succeeded if it wasn't attached to it was if it wasn't framed as a mixed media project if it yeah. just was like no just make this an anime or just make this a drama scene just or just make this like a, a novel like i don't <laughs> it needs to be centralized it needs to be focused um 
Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, uh, I, uh, I just. Right, like, Attacked Op is, in, is, is currently running in the season, but I have not touched the game. Like, I don't even know what the fuck the game is about. I mean, I know I can, yeah. I can, I can get what the game is about because it's about, like, there's a handler character and then there's, like, a, a character that you have to, like, manage. I, I get it. It's like, there's, I can see what, how the game works, but I'm not touching the game. I probably can't even touch the game anyway because it's probably, probably there's probably no North American star. But the, that's, that's what like, I mean. Like, why I don't does know this stuff that, get over here? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so it's only for Japan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I don't know anyone talking about the whatever the game is for Attacked Op. I'm I'm watching the anime. I like the anime so far, but I'm not gonna fucking touch the game. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. It doesn't need the game. <laughs> the thing that really struck me that when I was thinking about this was after Lost. I don't even know if you remember me talking about that, but that was a series where it was just it was a mixed media pro- project yeah. again, like Gotcha Game, yeah, um, and anime. But and and it had a simul dub, and it was just like, why does this have a simul dub when like fucking like. <laughs> Nothing else gets it. Why did they decide that a mixed media project from that we only get half of? Like, it's so <laughs> weird. I don't know. It anime be weird. Anime is really weird right now. I feel like even just like reading a lot about what it was like to create OVAs and stuff in the early 2000s um like that's completely different ballpark from what's it what it's like to create like everything Mm -hmm. has to be it feels like everything has to be a series these days and that it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter um but you know whatever uh try to avoid going too long for the podcast um we can talk about two here lv you can talk about one thing on your own but i did want to talk to you about miroko-chan um, oh yeah just on here because th- this was a manga that we both read i believe yes so. we need to we need to unpack this yeah yes uh, <laughs> so i've only seen two episodes of the show because i was like so like holy cow i've, I've seen like four so far yeah okay i imagine that's probably what's out right now but yeah th- mm-hmm. th- this was a show we liked because it was um, the premise is good it's funny yeah the premise is good it's like this girl sees ghosts she tries to pretend that she doesn't basically yeah, and she's very jaded, and she's like, damn, that's fucked. <laughs> and then yeah. she, she tries to carry on, and she doesn't talk to anyone about it. Um. <laughs> and the show, like, genuine, generally works o- up to, over time, like, building up that character and, like, yeah. what she wants to do and stuff like that. And it, it, yeah. it was compelling in a in a manga format. Yeah, and her, yeah, and her, and her eventually realizing, hmm, I should do something about this, and, like... <laughs> yeah. Um. However, this show is, like, so horny. It's, like, unreal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do remember there is a little fan service in the... Again, like I said, like, so she... Ha- again, I, I, we were talking about this before the pa- podcast, but, like, to talk about now. Right, she has a best friend who has big boobs. And, like, yeah. yep, that's the bit. Her friend has big boobs. They jiggle. Sometimes we get a close-up shot. Like, oh, there you go. Very typical, very standard. Nothing shocking at this point in anime at this stage. Um, and one of the scenarios that happens is that, oh, like, a creepy, gross ghost, like, gropes her friend. And her friend doesn't fucking notice. It's a ghost. She doesn't feel it. But, you know, the Morocco is, like, shit what the fuck like what do i do i can't do anything about it i can't tell my friend i see this shit she's not gonna believe me etc um and that's the extent of like how bad it can get really but the fucking anime is out of its mind (laughs) 
It's like doing close-up shots whenever Moroko bends down, and it's like nothing is happening. She's just picking something up. Like, what is going on? Um, it's it's weird. It's I don't understand why. I I feel like it was the type of thing where I was like, I feel like maybe I had the worst possible setting also for like watching the first episode for this because I was like, I was like going with some of my girlfriends. I was like, yeah, I liked this manga a lot, you know. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you no. open it up and it's just non-stop her ass <laughs> falling over her ass just everywhere. I'm not doing ass. anything. Yeah. Really, though, I was just like, please. The other thing I was surprised by, and maybe because I just don't remember, like, again, reading the strips initially, but, like, yeah, there actually is, like, a serious narrative going on where, like, she does yeah. eventually meet other people who, like, are keen on what she ha- is doing and, like, or also who are kind of tapping into the occult as well, like an old woman who seems like a scam artist for first, but she actually genuinely has, like, knowledge of the paranormal as well and tries to indirectly help her without, like, outing herself either because, again, it's, like, a whole awkward thing of, like, oh, I don't know, this person will believe me, or, like, oh, I don't know, she will understand, etc. And she tries to help her from afar, like, such as trying to give her, like, these prayer beads, which which works against her actually, and like it's like oh shit, her power is too powerful, or like the ghost, or the or the sort of energy and like ghosts Moroko is attracting are too powerful, and like yeah, there's something there's like a strange anomaly going on to her where like this old woman's like I've never seen someone who has this sort of magnetism before, and and, and very interesting too where she recognizes again the big booby friend. Um, <laughs> um, actually, it's like, oh, yeah, like a very, a very important person to like be with because, you know, something about her also is, is ringing off like, oh, she has strange positive energy that is helping Morocco negate like all the bad things going too far, etc. Um, like, yeah, there actually is kind of like some sort of serious underbelly, like, going, like, and, and like how the show handles to like, suspense also is very good like it very they actually like the way the episodes build up tension and stuff it they're not scary really but, you know it, like when you see the ghost like it's like wow that's creepy that's like fuck looking um it kind of like escalates tension in a very tactful way very similar to like if you were actually watching a, a horror movie like there's like a lot of moments in the show where there's no music like a lot a lot of at least from from what I've noticed, like a lot of times in the show it's very quiet. Like, you know, as if something bad is gonna happen, which I think is very interesting. Like it takes it takes like the genre it's trying to like, you know, lampshade very seriously. <laughs> I quite like that. It's like, oh, it's not what I expected. I I I for sure I kinda thought the anime was gonna go a, a different direction where it's just gonna be all goofy and comedic all the time. But no, a lot of the moments in the show, like take a very slow pace and in a very serious like way um it's fu- it's funny because it's like be- it's because the character is very deadpan it's like it's funny because yeah. she just like is very non-reactive to everything it's not funny because of like ooh, ooh, ooh slapstick what have you um it's it's just funny because of like just the subtleness of like how like she's reacting to things and it's not it's never what you expect um well, otherwise, yeah, I'm sticking around with it. Like, again, the fan service is a huge turnoff. It's very unnecessary. It doesn't add anything. Again, very bizarre. Again, one of those things where the people animating got a note from, like, some horny producer being like, no, there's no panties here. You, you gotta put them in. You gotta meet this quota. <laughs> it's fucked up. It's like, I, it's absurd. And yeah, like I said, I remember fan service in the manga, but it's not this bad. It's not this, like, obnoxious. And, like, I remember it goes away at a certain point, too, where I, I think for sure, like, 
the creator of the show had come brain post, you know, post come clarity and was like, no, no one's reading this for that. I'm going to yeah. stick to the narrative here, right? But the anime has not got that memo. Um, <laughs> I love the ending theme. The ending theme is just samples a bunch of screaming, which yeah. is really funny to me. <laughs> it's excellent. It's like, wow, it's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> I felt like while the slow pace like is interesting it, it I, I i found it like glacial at times where i, yeah, like, I, I went fair. and read the manga and it like it, it really goes by. felt it really felt like they were like stretching out like time so much time and like oh, yeah, a lot yeah. of it was on her ass so like i yeah. feel like that's probably why it hurts so that's much. probably it too that's probably it too yeah. i think I, it, it lingers on fan service modes that shouldn't be there but otherwise, I do get the effect of like what they're trying to go for. I, yeah, I think they were, I think there was a deliberate choice where they wanted to like recreate tension that would be in a horror movie. Yeah, um, and I think I think th- to borrow from the way you talked about the vampire dies in no time at all or whatever, like that is like it it, it feels like a hit or miss to me with that. Yeah, like where it's yeah. like either like this is an effective scare gag or it is I am sitting here, dude, watching her in front of the fridge. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, I know what's going to happen. Do I have to see her ass? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, is there um, another show you'd like to talk about before we wrap it up? <clears throat> yeah, I want to talk about a show that's not an anime, but um, for sure has attracted negative attention it didn't deserve, and that is High Guardian Spice, which is a show produced by Crunchyroll Studios. Okay. And this was something teased a while ago. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this, but... Crunchyroll announced like a slate of stuff coming into programming a couple of years ago, and this particular thing made people upset. And of course, it's the sort of people you expect to be upset. And it's 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 just trolls under a bridge who are like, oh shit, look at this SJW show. Oh my god, anime is over. So this I this I feel so bad for the show because it's fine. It's fucking fine. It's just uh-huh. not an anime. And it's just a cute little kid show. It's just, well, it's not quite a little kid show. There is cursing. There's some violence, but it's just like a kid. It's, well, I guess a preteen show. It's just like a, a kid, a, a preteen show of like these two friends who are going to go to a magical academy and they just have adventures and it's just their day to day lives and they, they, they just make friends with other gals and it's a fun, like empowering girl show. And that's it. There's nothing offensive about this whatsoever and the show unfortunately got caught in the crossfire of like Crunchyroll's just buffoonery and like the horrid chuds on the internet as usual unfortunately in the anime community who can't handle seeing something different (laughs) um and I think the big problem was like unfortunately I think it does unfortunately unfortunately like that reaction is gonna be expected people are just gonna be shitty as usual um but I think it does fall in the fall of Crunchyroll should have not marketed the way it was, which I, I remember it being kind of weird and like it had weird edgy marketing. Again, misleading marketing of what this was to begin with. Um, and it this should not be just on, this should not be on Crunchyroll too. Um, um, it, I think this was announced around a time to where. Um, this is when, like, discussion around Crunchyroll underpaying its translators was really, like, like at its fervor and, like, when a lot of people were starting to, like, come out with more stories about that. Um, coinciding with their weird basement mall food court office thing. <laughs> like, there was, like, why are you Crunchyroll spending so much money on their, like, building and not paying the animators and freelancers? I mean, not, not paying the translators and freelancers they hire. 
Um, and the show was like announced around that time when Crunchyroll was like making all these promises of like, no, we're going to do better. And then here's the state, you know, um, it just attracted a lot of negative attention, you know, like it didn't deserve that. It's just a cute kid show. Um, and it looks nice. It is doing what it does. It has a very cute like theme song and ending song. Obviously, it's very inspired by anime, but like I said, it's not anime. But I think it's actually solid. I think it has something that has a lot more to offer. I think I would watch this like in my other, you know, free time. I might actually just genuinely follow this. Um, and again, it's like, again, just to show it's a Western produced show, like all the episodes are available. It's not like a whole thing where it's like one episode per week, et cetera. It's just they're all available on Crunchyroll. You can watch it or other platforms affiliated with Crunchyroll um, that you can watch it. Um, but man, yeah, the fucking reviews on Crunchyroll's site, like just just shitting on the show, which again are just the people who are upset this exists to begin with just because there are gay people in it, I guess. Um, and just because like it's not an anime. You know, and that's not its fault. <laughs> it's not its fault. Um, and just overshitting on it just because of how it looks too, where it's like, I think it looks fine. I actually think it generally looks nice. Like, I think it has good production values for what it's supposed to be. But yeah, just people overcompensating, shitting, like, oh, the animation sucks. Like, oh, this is so bad. This is right. Are you fucking kidding me? There's a lot of anime out there that's fucking bad, like way worse than this. And I don't think this is even a bad show at all. Again, I'm just like ranting about like uh, <laughs> less about the show and it's just okay. the perception around the this show. This is something that's built up for you for like, <laughs> years and years, right? Like this was announced years ago, wasn't it? I feel yeah, like. it was, and that is why it took so long. It like was done for a while, I think, but the creators held back because of such the backlash they were receiving from shitty people. Like, oh man, oh god, I feel so bad for these people involved. Oh man, like, at, like if this was like on Cartoon Network and like, or some other network where it was more appropriate, like, this would be a. Po- I think this show would be a talk. I think people, I like thinking about like Shira's like popular. This would be that. That would this would be, this would be that same audience. I think. I think it would be a a, 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 a synthesis of like people who like Shira and people who like Little Witch Academy. You know, Little Witch Academia. I think people would like this show. It's just not. On a, it's 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 not on a platform it deserves to be. And for that reason, it's getting shit for, like, stupid reasons. <laughs> God. God, fucking Crunchyroll. <laughs> God, I, I, and I do wonder, like, what else other, like, original pet projects they have. I, I actually don't know. But this was the one for sure that, like, I remembered. It was like, oh, man. Man, oh, man. Yeah, it deserves better. <laughs> Hi, Guardian Spice. Tell, t- tell your kids. Tell your kids. <laughs> Please help it. No, the people who made this did not deserve this shit. Yeah, when I watched The Little Witch, I felt like there should just be more stuff like this. This is you know, hey, fucking Eichenfeld points to this. Like, I this is what yeah. I would have wanted out of that. You know, like I would have loved the show as a kid. I, definitely, I, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. And I saw, and I like it now as an adult. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is completely inoffensive. The other shitty thing about the show, and like, because the creators brought it up, and like people were reviewing the first episode that. When this came out around, yeah, it came out around last night. You know, they wanted to get it out before Halloween. Um, notice that on Crunchyroll itself, like not on not on um, VRV. I, I, actually, I don't remember, but like, there's a content warning before the show, which is fucking weird because again, there's nothing offensive about this show. But again, it's just it raises a lot of questions too because it's like, is it because of like the queer content in the show? Like, come on, like why is there? I don't recall seeing a content warning on any anime I've seen in Crunchyroll, and like well, I've seen some I dark. Like, like, I don't know. Am I wrong? Like, I don't know. I feel like that's probably just the creators being more mindful of that sort of thing. But then, they, but then one of them came out saying like, I don't recall like. Oh, okay. Noting cool. that, yeah. 
okay. they were like they were explaining like like they were explaining like no like there's cursing in the show and there's violence in the show but certainly i can't imagine it being this is not a troll show at all they made it clear like no this is just a fine perfectly innocent show that has some of that stuff huh. like nothing that goes the edge of like you know oh madoka t- plot twist things get dark like nothing it does nothing of that sort so like yeah the creators already said i don't know why there's a content warning in front of the show it just has cursing and some Scary. violence in it they it's did very, end up putting like, that on hmm. Goblin Slayer, I remember, at least. That okay. was, like, the only See, thing. See, like, what is the comparison there? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hmm, is it because there's a trans character in this? I don't understand. Uh-huh. Um, there's, like, literally two gay, like, like these girls have gay dads. Like, it's, like, it's wonderful. It's, like, like is that the reason? Like, oh, shit, we got it. <laughs> it's in the first episode. Like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Just another thing that's, like, shitty like come on like yeah nothing else <laughs> yeah. to say no i um, get you nothing else to say like damn the society we live in and <laughs> crunchyroll is gonna eventually merge with funimation I, I don't know just oh man the limited amount of platforms that anime's on <laughs> okay i think that's uh that's about it then for now i think that's a good stopping point uh i don't blame us for talking about paranoia agent that long um, there's so much to say about that there's show, a yeah. lot to say we didn't even cover everything i yeah um but uh yeah thanks to our patron for picking that one uh that was picked by cello buster thank you um so next up was uh for the end anime quote-unquote that we're going to watch next uh this is my pick and I've been wanting to force everyone to watch Common Rider build the first 12 episodes <laughs> for the last like year. So I'm doing that now. Um, this should be fine because I've, I've, I think we've talked about a lot over this, the course of us doing this show, wanting to work into more long running series and taking a, a, a bite out of one, you know, taking just, just a bit, mm-hmm. getting some vibes and, what is better for that than a common rider show that never ends, right? A common rider shows just keep going until the <laughs> end. Um, so this will be a fun little one, common rider build. Um, so this one, hmm, episode one and two can be found on YouTube on the Toei channel, but much like all Toku fans have to learn at some point, you will have to find this through more illicit means. It is fairly easy to find it. Um, you know, you can find it on sites that distribute say magnet links of sorts mm-hmm. um as well as just you know there's a lot of uh fan sub sites that will have it that are safe and not evil like the kiss anime or what have you but, i i know shout i think shout factory owns some of common writer or like has distribution yeah like, i don't know if they but i don't this. think they, they don't own, they own this far they don't own this far unfortunately I think. yeah because they is like own they definitely own a, a lot of pretty much the original series and all the old ones they and yeah. which i've discovered recently because of work researching purposes they do they do stream their programming on switch they do curate that stuff so they actually have dedicated days where like to like the past couple days have been godzilla days they've been just airing godzilla movies on their twitch channel which is funny um, and they do have common writer days, <laughs> so there's that. But it probably won't be episodes in order. That's the, I don't know how the schedule works, but yeah, it, it's 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 for sure something that um, is an option as well, though at least for other series, but probably not for build, unfortunately. <laughs> um, maybe someday we will see a world where they fucking just let this shit this shit is popular over here okay it's not like gangbusters because again you have to like fucking work to get it but people like it i more people watching this than fucking 
deep whatever the fucking deep insanity like <laughs> i don't know how many They're, episodes do you recommend we should dive into bill i, th- I think just for 12 us like i said at home. Ju- oh, 12. just 12 okay. uh right. i think because if i recall correctly most common writer series operate under a rule of twos where they have one episode and then the second one finishes the thought so that'll be oh. like the finished thought yeah, sure of whatever that is yeah um so that should be fun hopefully um all right uh yeah as always you know uh patreon.com slash vgcc three dollars gets you one week early uh sorry this episode's a little late such is the way um we're gonna i'm going i don't want to just keep saying this over and over again but i think we'll have the full crew back next time i but you're think- saying i think I so there's think, no certainty there. There's no certainty there. <laughs> I think. Um, I was just saying last last time on the podcast, I was saying to Maverick before the show, like, I fucking said, I think Paranoia Agents on Crunchyroll. And Maverick was like, I don't think, is it? And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it is, I think. And then it was just like, no, Maverick was right. Um, i love to hear yeah, it. Yeah, this time for I, real. I uh, need to hear it one more time. <laughs> yeah, Maverick <laughs> is right. Um, there we go. So yeah, um, that's the name of the episode. If it wasn't just going to be paranoid, and I would just call it Maverick is right. Um, all right, uh, I think that's everything. Unless you two have anything else to say. All right, I take that silence as a no. So we're gonna call it quits. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Unlimited Railworks. See ya. Mm-hmm.